If you turn to Psalm 77, I'd like to read that psalm and give our attention to especially the second to the last verse of the psalm. Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. Psalm 77, God's holy word to the chief musician, to Jedithon, a psalm of Asaph. I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained, and my spirit was overwhelmed. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I've considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart, and my spirit makes diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? And I said, thus is my anguish, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your works and talk of your deeds. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were afraid. The depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea. Your path in the great waters. And your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God's holy word. Shall we ask the Lord to bless us as we consider it this morning? Heavenly Father, we flesh, we are like grass, but your word endures forever. We, Lord, are weak, but you are the mighty one. We, the finite, but you, the infinite. And Lord, you alone can speak the word of life and power, everlasting life into our hearts and souls. You alone can lift the weary and strengthen the faint-hearted and give hope to the hopeless. We thank you, O Lord, that we might return to worship you on this last day of the year, and that we might come to your word, that you would declare yourself to us and impart grace. And we pray that you would now, in Jesus' name, we ask it, because we don't deserve it but he has purchased it for us. Amen. Well, people of God, it's 
the last Lord's Day of the year, and in fact, the last day of 2023, the year of our Lord. And it's fitting then, as we often do, this time it falls on a Sunday, but we often pause, don't we, on the last day of the year to look back and to remember and to think about going forward. It's good, since the Bible tells us to, to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom, it's good to mark the passage of time. It's good to remember that we are finite creatures. We, we live for a short time upon this earth. It's good for us to survey the journey of the past year. And we know that as Christians, we're on a journey, we're on a pilgrimage, and we know as Christians that our God is leading us, that the Lord is our shepherd. We, we have a guide and a keeper who is bringing us somewhere. We're not going in circles. But knowing that, we have to confess we don't always feel it. We don't always feel that God is near. We don't always feel that, that we're going in a particular direction. We don't always feel that, that God is close at hand to us. And God knows that. And so God, in the prayer book of the Old Testament, the Psalms, the songbook, has given his people not only psalms of rejoicing in times when God is clearly present, but he's given to his church psalms of lament, psalms of complaint, psalms of expressing confusion and distress so that we, as God's people, may know how to approach God and seek God in those times. The writer of Psalm 77, the writer did not feel like God was close at hand. Something devastating has happened. Devastating. The psalmist, in verses 7 through 9, cries out, Would the Lord cast off forever? Has his mercy stopped forever? Has God shut up his tender mercies never to help us again? Whatever year this was, this would not have been written as the psalmist's favorite year. And maybe for some of us this morning sitting here, we would say 2023 will not go down in my book as my favorite year of my earthly pilgrimage. It wasn't the one that I most want to recall. It was difficult. It was, it was hard. It was distressing. But the psalmist is committed to do what God's people must be committed to do. He's determined not to give up the faith, but to fight, to cling to God. And in the psalm, he tells us how he does this. That in the midst of his distress, he says, I don't see God with me. I don't see how God will make any good out of any of this. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to look back to the past, at the mighty hand of God, of his great love for his people. And I'm going to remember what God did in the past so I can have strength and courage for the future. And in the midst of doing that, it's as if at the end of the psalm, it's as if the, the psalmist has stumbled upon an element of truth from the past that, that brings some sort of solution or resolution to his distress. Because as he recalls God's ways with his people and leading them out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, it dawns on the psalmist in verse 19 that your way was in the sea and your path was in those great waters and your footsteps were not known. There was something awesome, mysterious. Your people didn't know what you were up to. The people, they couldn't get their minds around. They couldn't see you. But you led your people like a flock. And so he's encouraged going forward to know that though I can't see it, God is here and God will lead us forward. My attention to verse 19 was inspired by a, a meditation written some 40 years ago by a Canadian Reformed 
pastor and a seminary professor, Dr. Jack DeYoung, was originally published in the uh, Canadian Reform Magazine, the Clarion, but then republished in a book of meditations I have. And so I want to acknowledge that, and uh, I'm making some good use of his work this morning, and he has some uh, inspiring thoughts here from this verse. So I'm grateful to him as well as some other commentaries. But I want to look particularly at that verse 19. Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. As I pondered how to get at this, this unknown footsteps of God, I think maybe we could grasp what's being said here if we look at this first of all as, as God's deliverance or footsteps unexpected, and then his deliverance or his footsteps invisible, and then his deliverance or his footsteps untraceable. Those three things, unexpected, invisible, untraceable. In other words, God marched right through the Red Sea, but no one saw him come or go. It was awesome. Well, let's look at God's unexpected deliverance here. And by the way, I could point out as well here that, that the word, the translation is different in some versions. Uh, footsteps can mean heels, it can mean uh, footprints, it can mean footsteps, and not known can mean uh, not seen, not perceived, not recognized. Well, boys and girls, you remember the story of the Old Testament. The, the premier, the most important deliverance of the Old Testament was the Exodus. And God brought his people out of the land of slavery. He defeated Pharaoh by the way of the plagues. And he leads his people out of that land of death. And he brings them into the wilderness and up towards the Red Sea. God took them in that way on purpose. And then something happened. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh takes his army and comes charging after the Israelites. And God's people are dismayed. And they say to Moses, what have you done to us? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? You had to bring us out here to die? We were better off being slaves back in Egypt. But the Lord had told Moses that he had done all this to get glory over Pharaoh. And so Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more forever. The Lord will fight for you. And then God did some glorious. He told Moses to stretch out his hand or staff over the Red Sea. And God sent his winds and began to blow. And God parted the Red Sea so Israel could cross through the Red Sea on dry ground. And when God's people had gotten through the Red Sea, then God told Moses to stretch out his hand over the sea again. And the waters returned. And they overwhelmed the chariots and the horsemen and the army of Pharaoh. So that Exodus 14 says not a single one of them remained. And Exodus 14 Concludes, so the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. What a wondrous event. At the very moment, the Israelites think that they're finished. There's no way out. There's no escape. There's no way forward. The Lord is at work with a way unknown to them. He saves them in a way they could not have anticipated. Among all the prayer requests they might have offered up at that moment, the one prayer request they would not have prayed is, Lord, just split the sea apart so we can walk through. But God does it. Not because there was some secret passageway that always existed there, some tunnel under the sea. Not, as some people say, Jesus walked on water because there were stones right under the surface that only he knew about. Silliness, right? Christ walked on water because he's God. The, the sea is parted because God is God. 
And the path that the church did not see was the path that God opened up. He made a way, his way, through the sea. And so the Lord's saving of the Israelites was surprising. It was unexpected. God visited his people with a miraculous deliverance. At the very moment, they'd abandoned all hope and had given up and assumed the worst. God split the sea open. And this, the psalmist is telling himself, that's right. This is how my God, this is how our God works He often brings us to the point of desperation where we cannot see any possible good, any way of deliverance, and then the Lord saves. Just think of the ministry of Jesus. He even waited sometimes until people died, like Lazarus. He didn't come when he was sick. He waited until he died that he might show the power and glory of God. So who could have guessed it? Who could have imagined that God would save the Israelites in this way? Who Who could imagine that God was going to send his own beloved son from heaven? That that would be the avenue of salvation that God would give his beloved to die in the place of sinners. And you know when Jesus had died on that cross, then the disciples for a few days were miserable. All their hopes had been dashed. I mean, it's over. Whatever we had thought God might be up to, it's over. He's dead. And then... Up from the grave he arose. Christ cutting a path right through death. Cutting a path for himself and for his people to follow. Psalmist here is contemplating the unexpected footsteps of the Lord God. And saying, I must remember that when there appears to be no hope. That's how it was for Israel. But God was there. Brothers and sisters, we often limit God according to our imaginations, right? And we think God can only do what I can imagine him to do. He can only do if I can come up with a prayer request that that would answer to this need. But Isaiah 40, remember, says, Who has measured the the waters in the hollow of his, his hand or measured heaven with a span? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Who, as his counselor, has taught him? With whom did he take counsel? Who instructed him and taught him the path of justice? God God does not need our help, our instructions. He doesn't need us to devise a plan so he knows what maybe he could do for us. The way of the Red Sea and the wilderness is not the path Israel would have chosen. They would have gone along the coast of the Mediterranean and see the way of the Philistines. But God led them down further south to bump into the Red Sea. God chose a path they would have not have chosen that he might gain glory for himself and show his people the wonders of his salvation. And the Lord Jesus does that. He marches before his church, leading us in ways unknown. He takes us along a route that may seem very bleak to us, a path that we say, I never would have chosen this way. And we like to know in advance how this is all going to work out. And we like in our praying to be able to describe to God what he ought to do right now to fix all this. But you remember that doxology in the book of Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or even think. To him be glory in the church through Christ Jesus. God's not limited by our imagination. And so the psalmist is reminding himself of that. And we may remind ourselves of that at the end of a year. If we've been on a path that wasn't our favorite or wasn't the one we would have chosen, if we've suffered some loss, lost a job or, or lost our health, or 
lost a, a loved one. And we wonder what, what the Lord is up to. How could this come to good? If we've been frustrated in our pursuit of holiness, if we've been hurt by someone or we have hurt someone, if we're saying it all looks like a dead end to me, it's a, just a cul-de-sac, the psalmist is saying, the Holy Spirit is saying, the footsteps of God were not known. You could not have anticipated what the Lord would do. So what God said to his people through Moses, Exodus 14, holds true. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, we may not see the, the sea part open today and everything become clear to us today, but we will see. One day on the shores of glory, we will see back over all this and, and see the road God has cut for us. And how he brought us from this sinful existence into everlasting glory. And we'll be amazed. We'll be amazed at what God had done. And already now in part we see the goodness of the Lord working for us. With his unexpected footsteps. But secondly this morning let's consider that God's deliverance is not just unexpected. It is in so many ways invisible. As Israel weighed on the Lord there, they might have seen Moses lift up the staff over the Red Sea, but they didn't see the hand of God. And they might have seen the waters part, but they didn't see the footsteps of God. And by the way, boys and girls, God doesn't have feet, but the psalm here is, is using human terms and languages to convey something of who God is to us. So it speaks of God as having feet, and elsewhere God as having an arm or a hand. Well, the, the Israelites couldn't see God. They couldn't explain how this is happening, and yet God was present. He was, he was in the sea. Your way was in the sea. Your path, your path was in the great waters. You led your people like a flock, but your footsteps we didn't see. Signs of God's presence were there, but only those who had the eyes of faith could, could actually see that this was the work of God. If you didn't have faith, if, if say you were a, um, a, a local a uh, fellow living nearby there, and you, you, you saw maybe from, from some distance this, this thing happening, the sea splitting open, then if you didn't have faith, you would just go home at night and turn on the evening news, and, and you would hear the, the weatherman tell you that, well, we live in a 100-year evaporation plain, and so there was just this, this moment of lack of water, or we, you know, this is, uh, this is climate change. It does, does, does amazing things. Or, or as some unbelieving scholars would say today, well, it's not so much a sea, it's a marsh. It's, it's a marshy land, and when the wind blows, you know, the water moves a bit, and you might get a path through it. But for the Israelites, they were there, and this was spectacular. The sea was opened up, and the sea came back and, and overwhelmed Pharaoh's troops. And yet we didn't see God. Things were happening that we couldn't explain. We, we couldn't get our minds around. We couldn't say just how God was doing this. We couldn't work it out in our scientific textbooks. We, there's something mysterious and awesome here in what the Lord did. He's independent and he's sovereign and he does wonders that we cannot explain. This is humbling, isn't it, to the hearts of God's people? And, and it should be, it must be. In fact, remember Job when he 
after doing so well in his trials and blessing God's name, he came through the, the depths of his trials to accuse God of being unjust, and then God summoned Job for a questioning. And do you remember how God humbled Job? He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. On what were its footings set? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I said to the waters, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Job, if you are in a position to know that God has done wrong, then you must surely know how God has created this world. You must know all things, Job. And God's reminding that there are great mysteries to his work. He's a God of incomprehensible power and splendor and glory. Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is glorious. Psalmist is, is reaching here for language. He not only personifies God here, making him to, to have the characteristics of man, but he personifies the creation here in verse 16 as if the water really gets afraid. The water saw you, O God. The water saw you. They were afraid. The depths also trembled. There's something that language in Psalm 114 as well, where, where the hills skip and jump at the presence of the Lord. The waters stand aside when the, the mighty creator marches upon them. When the omnipotent maker strides forth, the earth trembles. And the waters jump out of the way. You know, in the Bible, water is the epitome of chaos, right? And instability. Sailors on a ship at sea are so vulnerable. Who can control the wind and the waves? Water is such an unstable force. In fact, I was just thinking about this. Uh, recently, I had to measure out two quarts of water. I had this measuring container with all these measurements on the side, and I filled it up, and then I set it down, and the water just back and forth and back and forth. I, now, calm down. I want to see if you're, you're level or not. And it, it was so unstable. I was surprised even in a two-and-a-half-quart container that the water can't be stabilized but giving it a bunch of time. Well, who is this that rules over the waters? That's what the disciples said when Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. This calmed the storm. And his disciples said, who is this that even the winds and waves obey him? And the answer was, he's God. He's God. At the Red Sea, the mighty Savior moved the waters, and yet no one could see us working. It was hidden. It was mysterious. And the work of our Lord Jesus Christ is like that. Who could see it at the cross? I mean, you could see, if you're standing at the cross, you could see that a man's being crucified, and people are heaping abuse upon him. But who could see that the Son of God in our human nature was bearing the eternal weight of death and hell in our place? Christ was accomplishing this under the cover of darkness. Or in the tomb, you know, people saw him after he arose, but, but who saw Jesus come to life? Who could, who could get their minds around this? Who could understand that the dead corpse of Jesus comes back to life in glorious power? 
The ways of God are hidden and mysterious. It's good for the psalmist to remember that. It's good for us to remember that. We can't close God in. We can't bind God. He's the independent and sovereign one, and our eyes are not able to detect all of the Lord's movements. What parents know exactly when their child was conceived and how that happened? God forms a life in the darkness of the womb, brings it forth. And what about spiritual life? Who of us can, can explain our regeneration? How our dead souls came to life and the heart that hated God is changed to a heart that loves God and trusts God. Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again. No one, no one can, can see the kingdom, can enter the kingdom unless they're born from above. And then Jesus said, don't marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Spirit marches upon our hearts. He comes and he goes and and no one can say that they've seen him. It's good to remember at the close of a year, at the beginning of a new year, That our observation of God is not the limit of God's working. God's always doing more than we see. God's always ahead of us and behind us and with us in ways that are imperceptible to us. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron, the psalm ends. We saw Moses. We saw Aaron. But your footsteps, God, we did not see. We did not see. The psalmist had reason to find hope in what God had done. How much more don't we? When the good shepherd has been revealed, John 10, and he tells us that he would not, and now he did not flee when the wolf was coming. Not like a hireling who runs off to save his own life, but he's willing to lay down his life for a sheep. And will Christ, having stood there when the enemy came, will Christ, having defeated Satan, will Christ now desert his people and abandon his flock? The answer is absolutely not. And so though we don't always feel his presence, see his presence, though his footsteps are unrecognized by us, the Lord is leading his flock. So we'll be able to say with with. Paul in Romans 11, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So the deliverance of God is unexpected. The deliverance of God is invisible. But finally, the deliverance of the Lord, the steps of the Lord are untraceable. Let's look at that. God brings a mighty upheaval upon his creation when he splits the Red Sea. I mean, it's a, it's a cataclysmic disturbance, wouldn't you say, to, to part an ocean, to break a Red Sea. This is, this is enormous. And yet, when it's all over, God sews it all back up, and it's like he was never there. It's like he was never there. I mean, you've got the Israelites on the seashore rejoicing and jumping for joy, and you've got a bunch of dead Soldiers of Pharaoh's army. But as far as the sea is concerned, the steps of God are untraceable. No mark is left upon the ocean. 
If you're driving uh, Highway 101 in the next few hours, you would never have known this ocean was split apart. If you, as an Israelite, bring your family back there for vacation next year and, or in 10 years from now and you're saying to your kids right here, they'll be like, really? Right here you walked, right here you walked through and it was dry? We, we can't hardly imagine it. Now, Satan loves to suggest to us all the times that if we can't trace God's steps going back, then he wasn't there, right? Unbelieving archaeologists tell us that certain cities, the Bible mentions, are certain kings it talks about, and they never existed. And geologists tell us there was no worldwide flood. No, there never could have been. And even scientists claim that there was no maker of this world. There's no trace of God. But those who have faith, of course, see God's fingerprints everywhere. Now, we wonder sometimes why God doesn't leave a more indelible mark of salvation. Ever think about that? That into this world, to this earth has come the eternal God in the person of Jesus Christ. And his ministry was a flurry of activity and power and glory. He, he healed sick people. He preached the kingdom. He, he cast demons out of people. He raised people from the dead. But then he dies, he arises, he ascends into heaven, and life goes on. Romans are still in power. The empire seems unchanged. The Son of God visited earth. And yet, what do you see? And so the world mocks. Peter warned us of that. 2 Peter 3, scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts. And this is what they'll say. Where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. What do you mean God was here? What do you mean the Son of God came down? Everything just continues. Look around, Christian. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The world doesn't see it. And to be... Completely honest, we wished we saw a lot more, don't we? We wish we saw a lot more power and glory. We wish that all the time when we look at the demise of a culture, when we get disgusted with political situation. Why doesn't he just do something? We wish we had something we could point to the world to say, look it, Son of God came here. And yet... The kingdom of Jesus Christ is like the leaven in a batch of dough, the yeast that's mixed in. It works powerfully and pervasively, but hiddenly and quietly. And you can't see it's coming or it's going. So the Lord is here. If God really visited our planet in Jesus, why are things so much the same? Well, they aren't so much the same. Upon the earth are a people who are remarkably different. The Red Sea was not changed, but you know what was changed? God's people were changed. 
upon the earth are a people of whom Peter speaks, whose faith is more precious than gold, whose faith will be found to praise, honor, and glory at the coming of Jesus Christ, a Christ whom, having not seen him, you love him, and though you do not yet see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory because you're receiving the end of your faith and the salvation of your souls. What has Christ done upon the earth? He's redeemed a people. He's brought us from the land of death to the land of life. He's given to his people a faith that trusts in and loves a Jesus they've never seen. These are remarkable things. In fact, you could say in some sense that the church of Jesus Christ is the footprint of God. Where do we see that God has visited the earth? The answer is right here. A people who suffer all the same things the worldlings do, who have trials and troubles, and yet cling to their God who carries them. We are forever changed. So we, with the psalmist, must fight for our faith. We must struggle to hang on to the Lord. In the midst of confusion, bewilderment, we, we have to remember what the Lord has done. And remember, God will be the same. And if we now, at the end of this year, say this was not my favorite year. If ever there was a year I didn't feel like God was close, this is the year. Then we with the psalmist need to go back to the Red Sea and remember. God was there in ways unanticipated, unexpected. God was there in glorious power, but his, his steps could not be seen. And God worked in a way that when he walked away, everything seemed to return to just like it was, and yet something was actually forever changed. The church, the history of God's people, closer, closer to the goal of eternal glory. Brothers and sisters, this psalm is a precious jewel. As it marks out for us, step by step, how a believer may struggle from confusion to confidence and from fear to courage and from hopelessness to profound hope to remember the Lord our God. His way was in the sea. His path was in the great waters, even though his footsteps were not seen. May God give us faith to believe. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you, thanking you for your word. And acknowledging that if your word did not help us to interpret things, if your word did not reveal you to us, if you and your word did not pursue us, we would lose faith. We thank you, O God, for the knowledge that this past year has not been one devoid of your presence. It's impossible for you, the faithful covenant Lord, to ever desert your people. The covenant has been ratified by the blood of Jesus. All your promises are yes and amen in him. And therefore, you are with us. And you're with us to save in ways beyond our imaginations. You're with us to save in ways that are beyond what we can comprehend. We pray that we trust the hand of our faithful shepherd, the Lord Jesus, and that you, God, would receive our thanksgiving for all you've done for us, and that you would carry us in hope going forward. Thank you, God, for your precious word and for our marvelous Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.